Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. In Galatians 2, a few pages back, a little bit before you, where you were in Ephesians, go back there for a second. There's a scene that happens in Galatians 2 which uh, illustrates the background of Titus. Go, go to Galatians 2, look at verse one. Galatians 2, verse one. Paul's telling his story about how the Lord worked in his life, how he received the gospel, and how he verified the gospel uh, back with some of the pillars of the church. Galatians 2, verse one, he says, after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, Galatians 2, one, taking Titus along also. And it was because of a revelation that I went up and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren who had sneaked in to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus in order to bring us into bondage but we did not yield in subjection to them even for an hour so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Titus is a prominent person in this exchange where they go to Jerusalem and Paul's verifying the gospel and interacting with some of the pillars there in Jerusalem and Titus is with him who's a Gentile and there was an early movement and that's a lot of what Galatians is about and often categorized as these Judaizers and these Judaizers were saying You cannot be a Christian unless you're circumcised and you keep the laws of Moses. So Titus was there, and when Paul showed up, apparently some of these guys saw Titus, said he's a Gentile, and if he's going to be part of the saved community, he has to be circumcised. You can imagine Titus going, fight for me, please. (laughs) Anyway, Paul said, no, he doesn't, because circumcision is not what saves you. Christ saves you. So so Titus became this illustration of a Gentile who didn't need to go through a conversion into Judaism to be saved. He had received the gospel, he had become a convert, and circumcision was not the issue. Circumcision of the heart is really the issue. So that's that's one story about Titus. One more uh, to just check out. Go to 2 Corinthians, just a few pages back now, 2 Corinthians 7. 2 Corinthians 7. Let me just read a little bit from my notes. Titus next appears in connection with Paul's mission to Corinth. While Paul was in Ephesus, and you want 2 Corinthians 7, during his third missionary journey, he received disturbing news from the church at Corinth. After writing two letters and paying one visit to Corinth, Paul sent Titus to Corinth with the third letter. When Titus failed to return with news of the situation, Paul left Ephesus and with a troubled spirit traveled north to Troas. He is, uh, I mentioned, he's mentioned nine times in 2 Corinthians, Titus is. Finally in Macedonia, Titus met the anxious apostle with good news, that the church at Corinth had repented. In relief and joy, Paul wrote yet another letter to Corinth, perhaps from Philippi, sending it again through Titus, which is recorded in 2 Corinthians 7, 15, and 16. In addition, Titus was given responsibility for completing the collection for the poor uh, saints in Jerusalem. So if you just take a peek, look at 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. 
For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And Titus brought this good news. Hey, Paul, the Corinthian church has read your letter. They've responded in repentance. I have good news. And Paul felt a great amount of relief. And Titus became the vehicle by which Paul got this relief. Sometimes what happens, and I want you to notice, verse six, some of you need to hear this. God comforts who? The depressed. Look, sometimes in life, if you go back to Titus, we're gonna be depressed. It's not a sin to be depressed, by the way. Apparently, Paul was. His circumstances were overwhelming. He was wondering you know, how the Corinthian church had responded to his letter. It was tough for him to write the letter. He said, look, I, I didn't enjoy writing the letter, but I wanted the fruit of the letter, that is your repentance, to be what really mattered. And when he heard that they had repented, he was grateful. And some of the pressure lifted from his life. And that came with the good news of the message that Titus brought. Sometimes people just, God can use people to lift our burdens. Uh, Paul, right here in the third row, did a message with the, uh, the men's breakfast, and he was talking about encouragement. And we're talking about different uh, definitions of encouragement. And encouragement is to put courage into people. Discouragement is to take courage out of people. Titus seemed to be a man of encouragement. And uh, he was willing to take some tough tasks. He was willing to take a stand for the truth. And uh, Paul is going to tell him that he needs to appoint elders on the, in the areas of uh, Crete, which we'll get to in a second message here. But he was a man for tough tasks. Uh, a final reference to Titus appears in 2 Timothy 4.10, where Paul remarks that Titus has departed from mission work in Dalmatia, which... Scholars say it's modern Yugoslavia, but Yugoslavia now is broken up as well, so whatever you call it now. And Eusebius wrote that Titus, uh, he wrote around AD 325, returned to Crete to become the first bishop of that area and died at a ripe old age. So that's a little background on the book of Titus. Now let's, we're just gonna go the first four verses and let's uh, break in now to the letter to Titus. Titus 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of God, Titus 1.1. Now, even though the letter is called Titus, the author is Paul. Paul is writing to Titus, and ancient letters, they would sign the letter in the beginning instead of the end. So you might write a letter to a friend or an email to a friend, and you would sign that sincerely, or God bless you and yours, or peace, or however you end your letters, favorite Bible verse, and you'd say, Michael Lance. Well, in the ancient world, they would start by addressing who they were at the beginning. So Paul describes himself as the author of the letter. So there shouldn't be any debate about the author, right? Sometimes you read uh, critical scholars and stuff like that, and they say, we're not sure Paul's the author. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, because some of the language shifts and changes, and... Uh, it doesn't sound like Paul. Remember how I told you last week in Mark 16 that there's some unique words of some scholars doubted that Paul wrote Titus and all of that. Just throw that out the window. The author is Paul. He's addressing some unique subjects, so there is a shift in some of the language, and Paul seems to be a little older. Just FYI, he probably wrote this letter around AD 65, okay? Just to give you a time marker, Paul died around 68, 
So this is about three years before he dies. Some date the letter a little earlier, but you could say between 62 and 65 is the letter to Titus. So he's a little older, and he's writing to a pastor who has a lot of responsibility. Paul, a bondservant and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, two descriptions of Paul. He says, I'm a bondservant, and he says, I'm an apostle. Bondservant is the uh, Greek word doulos. The Hebrew is eved. A bondservant is a voluntary servant. It's a voluntary slave. And the story of a bondservant is laid out in Exodus 21. You don't have to turn there, but I think a lot of you are familiar with this. And here's the idea. If a slave or a servant, and there were a lot of servants in the ancient world, we'll talk about that. If he had served his time, let's say his seven years, and now he could go free, he had a decision to make. And he could decide that he loved his master so much that he would stay with his master. If the slave plainly says, Exodus 21.5, I love my master, my wife, my children. I will not, not go out as a free man. Then his master shall bring him to God. Then he shall bring him to the door, door of, or the doorpost, and his master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. So if you took the role of a bondservant and you said, look, master, you know, I've been blessed in your, in your house. I have so much going on here. I love you. I don't want to leave. You would go to the doorpost of the house. They would take something like an awl, like an ice pick. Uh, apparently no medication to uh, numb the area. And they would drive the ice pick through your ear. And here, there's two ideas in Hebrew. One is you would be attached to that house forever, attached to your master forever, idea number one. So you were a servant always attached to that house, always connected. Number two, your ear was always open to the voice of your master. So they would put the hole through your ear to signify, I'm always attached to this house. By the way, at, at thresholds of houses, they would make covenants. You know, the, uh, the, even in modern times, sometimes the bridegroom will carry a bride over the, what, threshold. And that's where they made covenants in the ancient world. In fact, when the lamb was killed back in the Exodus, the blood ran into the basin of the house. That door was sealed in a covenant, if you will. And so this is what they do. And so you'd be attached to that house forever and your ear would always be open to the voice of your master. What would you have me to do, master? That's what a bondservant says. Every day you wake up, if you're a bondservant of Christ, you say, Lord, what would you have me to do today? Although I have a few, uh, and this is in small print. I don't do windows. <laughs> I don't use the weed whacker because things fly up at you, you know, right? No, 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 no. If your ear is open to your master, whatever he says to do, you do. Amen. And all God's people said, oh, I don't know. I, <laughs> really? What if it's an area of the world? What if it's a ministry that you, when you first started out, how many of you have done this? Lord, I'll do anything except. And you know, oftentimes that except is where God places you. I would not even use language like that. <laughs> there are no exceptions, right? Just say, Lord, I'm in your service. Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael Lance and this is Living Truth Radio and we'll be back to the teaching in a moment. 
I want to tell you about a special offer that we have available at Living Truth Radio. It's a book that I've written called Suit Up, Putting on the Full Armor of God. It's all about spiritual warfare. It's all about how to overcome temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And it's a special offer. Go to our website, livingtruthradio.org. Click on the donate button. And for any donation, we will send you a copy of that book. Just let us know in the contact form that you'd like a copy of that book. And now, back to the teaching. There's an old story that is told about Abraham Lincoln. He went down to the slave block to buy a slave girl. As she looked at the white man bidding on her, she figured he was another white man going to buy her and then abuse her. He won the bid, and as he was walking away with his property, he said, young lady, you are free. She said, what does that mean? He said, it means you are free. Does that mean, she said, that I can say whatever I want to say? Lincoln said, yes, my dear, you can say whatever you want to say. Does that mean, she said, I can be whatever I want to be? Lincoln said, yes, you can be whatever you want to be. Does that mean I can go wherever I want to go? Lincoln said, yes, you can go wherever you want to go. The girl with tears streaming down her face said, then I want to go with you. This is the idea of a bondservant. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. He bought us out of the slave market of sin, but he bought us to be free. But where else do you want to go? Who else do you want to serve? Do you want to serve the one that didn't buy you or the one that did? I choose to serve the one that bought me with his blood. Amen? I, serve, I choose to live out my life in service of the one who cared enough to buy me out of that situation. At great cost, by the way. And so that's the idea of a bondservant. Paul is a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Think about Paul's conversion. He was an enemy of Christ. He hated the church. He really, you could say he hated Christ, and he had an encounter, and he became a servant forever. You can, you can become a, a servant of Jesus Christ from any background. Once you meet him, he'll change your life forever. And then secondly, he, Paul's called an apostle. Apostolos is the Greek word. It means a delegate, a messenger, one who sent forth with orders. And so that's what Paul did. He went all over the ancient world telling other people, here's, here's, here it is simply put, how to be free. Do you know that this community this morning could be called that we are a community of freed slaves? This is a community of freed slaves. Slaves to what? Jesus said any man or woman who commits sin is a slave to sin. How many of you could say, you could come up here right now and tell your story about how sin enslaved you? Look, it did for all of us in different ways. And Jesus Christ broke those chains. He opened the prison door. He made you free. And that's why Paul says, I'm now a messenger of that message. This is a community of freed slaves, and Paul says, look, I'm going to go all over the world and tell other people how they can be free. Are you doing that? Do you see ministry as an opportunity to tell people how to be free? We get so fearful about evangelism, but if you think of, about evangelism in that sense, that there's a bunch of people in chains and bondage that need to know where freedom is, will you hold back? Will you hold the key in your pocket and not take it out? That seems silly, doesn't it? We have people walking around, think of this image, in chains like this walking around, and we're not going to give them the key? 
Why would we do that? Well, that's the idea. Jesus Christ is the message that Paul preaches, and he preaches it as an apostle, one sent out by God to tell people where to buy freedom. He says, I've been set apart. Look at verse, uh, well, that's set apart for the gospel of God is actually Romans 1.1, but let's read the end of Titus 1.1. It says, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness. So Paul says, I've been, I'm doing what I'm doing for the faith of those chosen of God. That is, it could be their initial faith, verse one, or it could be the growth of their faith, or I think it could be both. The church's ministry is pretty simple. It's to win people to the Lord and then grow them up in their most holy faith, right? So we're try to, we try to go out and win them, and then we, of course, want to grow them up. So he says, for the faith of those chosen, by the way, you are chosen of God, chosen from the foundation of the world. You are the elect of God. Now, when people hear about election, they get a little nervous. Like, what does that mean, election? Did he elect some and not elect others? How does this work? I want to know more about election. Well, let me just say this. There have been people debating the concept of predestination and election for 2,000 years. So if your brain hurts after I spend two minutes on it, just join the party, okay? So the latest that's come out that I've heard about is called simultaneous election. Say, what does that mean, Pastor Michael? Well, here's what troubles people. There's no doubt that the Bible teaches election, that God chose us, right, from the foundation of the world. The question really becomes on what basis does he choose us? Well, here's how I understand simultaneous election. God is eternal. We often have heard illustrations that God has to look down a corridor of time. And then he says, oh, that person will choose me or that person won't. Or other people say, well, he just decided that one's in, that one's out. Chosen, not chosen. In, out. Love him, don't love him. <laughs> But that's not really my understanding of it. God is eternal. God does not have to look down a corridor of time. Everything for God is now, right? He, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He knows everything, past, present, and future. This, is, this goes with his omniscience. He knows everything. So he doesn't have to learn anything. He doesn't have to look down a corridor of time. He already knows everything. So he knows who's going to be in and who's going to be out. So in simultaneous election, he simply chose you in his eternal nature, and you still have to respond to God. Now, people say, well, if God chose us, does that mean that we have no part to play? No, I think we do have a part to play. I think we still have to believe. I don't think God's going to repent for you, nor do I believe that God's going to believe for you. Because if he did, then the world is just basically we're a bunch of robots and we just respond to God because he makes us respond to him. I don't think that's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us to come to the Lord, to repent, to believe. So however you want to work this out, and look, I'm not going to be dogmatic even on the sim simultaneous election. I'm just going to say to you, God chose you. Aren't you glad? Amen. I mean, you could be in the unchosen category. <laughs> I'm really struggling with the fact that I'm chosen. <laughs> Well, I don't know what to tell you then. But as Spurgeon put it, I'm glad God chose me before I was born because he would have chose me after I was born. He never would have chose me. <laughs> I don't even know how to make sense of that either. 
For the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, verse one, which is according to godliness. Paul's ministry is around the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth is used for God's desire for people to be saved. He wants all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, 1 Timothy 2.5. 2 Timothy 2.25 says that people might come to the knowledge of the truth and come to their senses and turn away from the snare of the devil. It's also mentioned in 2 Timothy 3.7. This would apply to Titus directly who came to the knowledge of the truth probably through the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So that's what we do. We go out and preach the truth that people can be free. And Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So this is what we do. We go out. We want people to encounter the knowledge of the truth. If you want to write down 1 John 5, 20 and 21, it says, we know that the Son of God has come. He has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ, this is the true God and eternal life. Little children, guard yourselves from idols. 1 John 5, 20 and 21. The knowledge of the truth saves us. You gotta embrace it. And then we are sanctified by truth. We have verses in this sanctuary. Take a look up here for a second. Sanctify them in the truth. What? Thy word is truth. So we, are, we get saved by the knowledge of the truth. We grow we get sanctified more as we interact with the knowledge of the truth. What is the knowledge of the truth? It is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through him. So Paul's ministry is for people to grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this knowledge of the, of the truth is according to godliness. End of verse one. Now, now this is why you, you're realizing we're only gonna do four verses, right? because uh, we haven't gotten that far so far. <laughs> now, godliness is a Greek word called eusebia. E-U-S-E-B-I-A. Eusebia. There's a church father called Eusebius, right? Eusebia is godliness. It speaks of holiness, piety, reverence. It is behavior that reflects one's true beliefs Godliness, this is very important for this, this whole book. I told you you're saved by grace, but then you live out godliness. Godliness can be defined as a God-centered life or a God-dominated life. That's godliness. So if you ever wondered, what's the definition of godliness? Some people say it's God-likeness. To be imitators of God, certainly true, but it is a life that is centered in God. It's not a perfect life. If you would be called a godly young man or woman or uh, whatever it is, it's not because you're perfect. Everybody around you knows that, right? But godliness is a life that is on the climb towards more and more holiness. Not perfection, but growth. Godliness is centering your life in God and his priorities and purposes. God is not an afterthought to you. He is the center of your life. His word and his will and his ways dominate your decision making. When you make decisions in life, you think about God. You think about God's word. You think about how this is gonna impact the kingdom of God. That's godliness. So if godliness is a God-centered life, what is ungodliness? It's a self-centered life. It is 
I, I'm going to coin a new term. The opposite of godliness is selfliness. Everybody write that down. Make sure you give me credit. Pastor Michael Lance, put the date on there. The opposite of godliness is selfliness. Now this is captured well in this particular motion. Just look up here and I'll show it to you. Everybody see that? That was Pastor Michael weekly illustrating a selfie. Now I'm just kidding. Selfies are not the illustration of ungodliness. They are partially an illustration. <laughs> Have you ever just walked away from an, an encounter with someone and just said, that person is selfie? You know what I'm saying? Selfie. You haven't? <laughs> So think about these couple of things. What are the things that feed godliness? What are the things that take away from godliness and make you self-centered? I'm going to ask you to make your own list right now because I, I can make a suggestive list to you, but I think you know what are the things that feed your spirit. Like even right now as you listen to a radio broadcast of a sermon and things that don't. Things that, you know, are really a benefit to the kingdom of God and extending the kingdom and things that are about really self. And look, it, it's possible to live a godly life and still enjoy the things that God has made. But it's just about really your priority. It's about who you want to be and what you want to live for. That's really what life comes down to. Whether or not you want to be more like God or more like the world. That's really what godliness or a lack thereof is all about. This is Living Truth Radio. My name is Pastor Michael Lance. And... We're glad you're aboard for a new book, a new study in the book of Titus. It's an exciting study. It's a little power-packed letter. We sometimes refer to these as epistles. And we're going to learn a lot together. And I want to invite you to join us on this journey through the book of Titus and invite a friend who may not be familiar with the ministry of Living Truth Radio. We would love to encourage them in their walk with Jesus Christ. You can reach out to us at livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. And you can find a lot of helpful resources at that website to help you with your walk with Jesus Christ. This pursuit of godliness, I want to challenge you as we go through this series to be pursuing the things that feed godliness, to, that feed a god dominated life. And I think you'll come out the other side as we've used an image of a tree planted by streams of water. You're going to find out that as you do this, you're going to yield fruit in its season and you're going to prosper in the best sense of that word. And you're going to be able to feed other people and lead other people to living water. So stay tuned for more on the book of Titus and we will catch you next time on Living Truth Radio. God bless you. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message again, learn more about our church in Corona, or to access archived messages, go to livingtruthradio.org and click on the church tab. You can follow us on Instagram at livingtruthcorona or download the Living Truth Christian Fellowship app on Apple and Android devices. Living Truth Radio is a listener-supported ministry. You can partner with us by donating at livingtruthradio.org.